I'd invite you to remain standing in body or spirit as we come before uh, God's Word. And this is uh, Matthew's account of the Easter story, the first five verses of chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. When we survey uh, Sunday morning of Easter in Matthew's gospel, our eyes are uh, normally drawn, and appropriately so, to the empty tomb. The one who was dead is apparently been moved or on the move. But if you pull the camera out a little bit and get a wider angle, you notice two other figures in the story. And these two figures were supposed to be those who were who were moving, and uh, they were the guards, and yet we find them, like the dead, frozen. And so it invites me to ask the question, uh, why is the man who was in the tomb no longer there? And I think we know the reason for that, and we appropriately celebrate it this morning. So I wanted to turn uh, the camera and look at the two guards and ask, why are the ones who are supposed to be living in this story the ones who are acting like they're dead? Why are they frozen? Why are they paralyzed and terrified? And the Bible's answer to that is actually pretty clear. It says that the two guards who are there standing sentry duty in the cemetery at the tomb are frozen, are paralyzed by their fear. Their issue is that fear. And it seems to me that uh, the angel will confirm this because when the angel sees the women, one of the first things she says to them is, now don't be afraid. And then Jesus, a few verses later, will also confirm that uh, fear is the issue here because he'll say also to the women, do not be afraid. It seems to me that one of the things that Matthew's story is trying to get across to us this morning is that one of the major issues in our life is fear and what we do with it. And apparently, the guards are not able to handle their fear appropriately, while the two Marys are able to do it. So let me first say a few things, though, about fear in general. The first thing is to say that fear is normal. I think fear is such a normal part of our experience that that's why the Bible says, do not be afraid 366 times, because it knows that fear is a part of our everyday life. And I would add that fear can actually be useful. Uh, My wife and I last uh, Sunday went to the subdivision where we're moving in a couple of months. And we were talking to some people about the walking trail there. And they were describing it. And they said, yes, it goes through the woods and it ends up at a pond. And we said, well, that's wonderful. And they said, yeah, but we think there are rattlesnakes by there. Uh, We're still deciding if we want to make that walk. 
Sometimes fear can give us an appropriate uh, heads up. Uh, Archbishop William Tutu, of course, whose uh, bravery was seen in the uh, struggle against apartheid in South Africa, was at once asked if he was afraid during that. And he said, well, yes. He said, uh, I- I've learned actually that fear is a good thing. Sometimes fearlessness makes us stupid. And I thought about the story some years ago. Um, you may have heard of it. There was a, a defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. And he was placed on the injured reserve list. And when you did the research and find out how did this guy get hurt, this is what we find out. This guy got hurt because he was playing catch with a friend using steak knives instead of a ball. I remember a guy commenting on this and saying of that defensive lineman, you know, at that point, fear would have been his friend. So fear is normal and actually useful. But of course, we've all seen times when fear goes from being normal and helpful to actually becoming as it was for these two guards. It becomes uh, something that makes us dysfunctional. It sort of knocks us out of uh, commission. I thought about... um, Uh, The story of a man many years ago, you may have heard this story as well, who came from a family with a history of cancer. He'd watched his mother die of cancer. He'd watched his sister die of cancer. And these were long, painful, terrible uh, deaths and experiences, of course, for the whole family. And so sure enough, one day he was uh, diagnosed with a tumor and they took a biopsy and sent it off. And while he was waiting for the results of the biopsy, he began to think about what his mother went through and his sister went through, and and he'd seen other people go through, and he decided he didn't want to go through that, and he took his own life. 48 hours after the funeral, the biopsy came back. It turns out the tumor was benign. Sometimes fear can do that for us or to us. I don't know if you've ever watched on the news stories where rescuers are trying to help somebody in a fire, but they can't get through the burglar bars to help the people. Sometimes our own fear sort of hems us in. So while it is useful and appropriate, we have to recognize that what the Bible sees is that oftentimes fear becomes something that just paralyzes us. That causes us not to live the life that God has in mind for us. Uh, Think about uh, uh, the first time you ever tried to do something in public. Maybe sing like the the News I Inquire. Or maybe you were going to teach a class. And uh, and how scary that was. And you had to somehow get over your fear to open your mouth and utter the words that you were given to deliver or to sing. Uh, But you had to do it. They once asked the great George Patton were you ever afraid? And General Patton said, I was afraid all the time. But what I learned was not to give in to my fears. Archbishop Tutu, again, commenting on his battle, his courageous battle against apartheid, said this. He said, I learned that courage is not not having fear, but it's acting in spite of your fears. In other words, I think fear is a part of our experience. And the issue is not how do we get rid of fear, but the issue is how can we deal with it? And part of the way we deal with it is, of course, to act on it. There was a great book on fear written a couple decades ago by Susan Jeffers. And I I love the title because it says it all. The title says, feel the fear and do it anyway. There's a sense that until you walk through that fear, and face it, you'll never know how you can do. But when I look further at the story, I realize it's not just the guard's fear that's the problem. 
when you get a little deeper in the story, it's somebody else's fear that put the guards on sentry duty. It's the fear of the religious establishment. And uh, they are worried that if rumor gets around that Jesus has risen from the dead, and they, of course, didn't believe that could happen. They just thought somebody would steal his body to make it look like that. That that would get the people excited. And if the people got excited, there might be a riot. And if there was a riot, the Romans might come in and restore order in very uh, uh, strict, uh, effective, and uh, cruel ways. But if the Romans did that, there was also a possibility in the riots and in, under martial uh, law, they would lose their standard of living. They'd lose their way of life. They would lose everything they value. So they decided uh, they were going to stop this uh, from happening at all costs. And so they sealed the tomb and then stuck two guards by the tomb. It was actually the fear of life, their life changing that led these religious officials to put the guards there in the first place. Let me say that another way. I think oftentimes at the base of most all of our fears is our intense need for our life not to be rocked. Our intense need to have security. Our intense need for things not to change on us. And we will take extraordinary measures to try to prevent the world from turning on us or changing in some way. I believe that at the base of most of our fears is an inordinate need for security. I read an author that some, uh, said some years ago that our need for security will always be, um, will our, our, excuse me, our ability for, to provide our own security will always be outstripped uh, by our need for security. In other words, we'll never be secure enough. If security and not having change in life is our goal, we will never be able to do enough to protect ourselves to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so the religious leaders in their effort to have the world not change around them, post these guards and put them in the place where this happened to them. It was not just their fear that froze them, but the fear of other people. I read uh, this past week a book called Liquid Fear, and it's written by uh, a European. And he was talking about what he calls the paradox of our day, which is actually in our day, we are safer than we have ever been. And we are more scared than we've ever been. He talks about the three things that can happen to us in life. One is nature. And while we can't control nature, we have a much better early warning system about things of nature than we used to. The other is our human body failing on us in different ways. And we have uh, surgical techniques. We have preventive things that we can do that are better than anything we've ever had. And then the other thing is sometimes other human beings will act out on us and threaten us. And, and that's always, of course, a risk, but we have better defense systems and security systems than we've ever had. And yet we are more afraid than ever. He calls it the paradox of our security obsession and I think it leads us to, uh, to take actions that actually uh, freeze our life and make our life more difficult than if we just face the fear to begin with. I remember the story of a woman whose husband way many years ago was a traveling salesman. And when he would leave town, she would become so afraid she wouldn't leave the house. But that's not all she would do. She would then start to move furniture in front of the, the door to the house so nobody could come in. And so uh, she would move a sofa 
uh, how she got the strength, I don't know, but she did by herself, the big sofa, and then a chair, and then unbelievably, a chest of drawers. And it would take her about 20 minutes or so to get it all lined up. And then when, her, uh, when she knew her husband was going to be back in town, uh, uh, the next day she would start to move the stuff. One day her husband got in the car, got part of the way out of town and realized he forgot something important. He had no idea his wife did this. He came back and knocked on the door because he couldn't get in and it took her 30 minutes to let her husband back in. You can live that way, but would you call that living? Really, will you call it life? I think what we need is something that is stronger than our need for security. We must love something more than our own lives as we know them right now, I think, to begin to move past our fear. I think about uh, people, and that we, we, of course, all read about and hear about, who, uh, soldiers who give their lives for other people uh, on the battlefield. That's because they value something more than their own security. They value their, their brother or sister in arms. They value their comrade. I remember a story one time about uh, a woman who uh, accidentally uh, backed over uh, her child and, and, and knew that, that the child was under the wheel. She stopped the car, got out, and she lifted the car off her child. When the police got there, they looked at her. She was five feet tall, 104 pounds. They looked at the car, a four-door sedan, and they couldn't figure it out. But in that moment, she loved something more. And it gave her the power to overcome that situation, her fear, even her pain uh, and, and struggle. I think that's really the key to life. Because look at the two Marys. They come to the tomb. They experience the earthquake. They see the same angel. And yet their response is different than the two guards. And I think the difference is, They loved Jesus more than they loved their own secure way of life. And they were going to get to him, even though they thought he was dead. They were going to get to him no matter what. Until you and I find something more important than our own security in life, we'll never ultimately be able to work through our fears. And quite frankly, if we're going to spend our life... uh, uh, In response to our fears, trying to protect ourselves from our fears, to always put pillows on the floor. We have to ask if that's really living at all. I remember the comedian who said this. He said, you know, you can go to bed early every night, and then you can get up early the next day and go to the gym every day. You can not drink, not smoke, eat only vegetables. And he said, and you can get hit by a car, and you will deserve it. You know? It's an illusion to think you and I can ever protect ourselves anyway. So I'm not telling you to trust Jesus this morning because he's worth it, though that's true. I'm just like telling you, he's a better bet. You and I are not able to protect ourselves from everything. So why don't we love the one who can protect us and be able to know that whatever happens... He has it in his hands. Do you remember the Flying Walendas, the High Wire Act? Do you remember their motto? Their motto was something like this. On the wire is life. Everything else is just waiting. Where is life for you? What are you willing to risk for? 
don't trade that for some security that's not going to come through. Uh, I, no- I noticed, I don't know if you saw this, the Twilight Zone is coming back to TV. Yeah, uh, new episodes, of course. But it reminds me when I was growing up, we would also watch the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. And I've told some of you about this episode because I've never forgotten it. The episode was about a woman in a woman's prison and she was tough. She was bad news. Uh, But she worked to deal with a guard whose duty was, uh, he was in charge of uh, burials if one of the prisoners uh, died. His job, whenever someone died, they rang a bell and this guard would go down uh, and get the body and get a coffin uh, and put the body in the coffin. And his his job then was to take the coffin outside the grounds uh, of um, of the prison to a small cemetery nearby dig the grave and put the coffin in the grave and cover it. And that was his job. She found out about it and became his friend. And, and she traded uh, all sorts of, uh, uh, of uh, things uh, with him so that she could curry his favor. And she made a deal with him. The next time a prisoner died and the bell rung, she was going to go down and get in the coffin with the dead body and then the guard agreed to carry her out. And before he put the coffin in the ground, he would open the coffin and let her out and she would be free. So sure enough, it wasn't but a few weeks later that the bell rang. A prisoner died. It was late in the night and it was dark and she of course couldn't afford to uh, have any light though she had matches because she smoked frequently. But she made it down to the basement where the coffins were kept. She found an open coffin, felt and sure enough, there was a body in one of them. So she hopped inside the coffin pulled the top down and waited. And at first light the next morning, she waited. And sure enough, the coffin got picked up. Sure enough, it got carried outside the gate. Sure enough, she could hear the hole being dug. Sure enough, the coffin was being let into the ground and had been closed on her. She began to pound and and scratch. There was no response. She wondered what in the world was going on. She wanted to see what happened. So she lit a match and she looked and the body she was lying on top of was of course the guard she'd made the deal with who had died in the night. It reminded me, never, never make a deal with someone who promises to help you but ultimately cannot. Don't make that deal with your need for security. Don't make that deal with anyone. The good news of Easter is this. Death is dead and Jesus killed it. Let's deal with him and we deal with him in love.